Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 50 of the CBA Grain Exchange. We are Happy to welcome back Kevin Gonerman with Stone X. Kevin, good to have you back. Thank you, Luke. It's my pleasure. I always enjoy our time together. We get to talk about the markets and perhaps what patrons of CDA can look forward to and how they need to respond. I agree. We had you on in September as we were getting close to the 2023 harvest. And so a uh, great time to invite you back as we uh, are a month removed from the pivotal January 12th reports. USDA finalized production for the 23 crop at that time. We got a grain stocks report on that day. And now we're in this period of time where things seem a little bleak, not a lot of news, quite frankly, to talk about. So we just follow the path of least resistance, which has been down as of late. But uh want to get your thoughts on today's WASD report. This was the February update of the balance sheet. Production for the 23 harvest is done. So these are demand revisions to the uh, WASDE report for the domestic balance sheet. And then we get kind of global revisions, both production and demand. So I'll hit a few highlights here, Kevin, then we'll get your thoughts. Um, we'll start with corn. Only adjustment today was a 10 million bushel reduction to food, seed, and industrial. That was not the ethanol category. So uh, some of your other industrial or food uses is where that got cut from. Uh, so your carryout rose 10 million bushels to 2.172 billion. Stocks to use ratio goes up to 14.9%. We look at the global balance sheet. Argentina's production uh, was left unchanged at 55, despite some recent heat. And Brazil's was cut 3 million tons to 124. Uh, we did see Brazil's foreign export number forecast dropped by 2 million tons. And Ukraine was bumped 2 million tons. Those were some of the more Notable revisions today. Kevin, what are your thoughts on today's numbers from the USDA and maybe how the market responded? Well, you've highlighted the changes. Um, we knew there would be some sort of reduction for Brazil's winter corn crop production, and that's where that comes from. I thought the, the market responded extremely well for both corn and soybeans. Um, given the way that it responded after the January 12th report, where we saw nothing but continuous and heavy selling, um, soybeans really made a U-turn late late in the day, probably about um, 12.30. We were visiting, making new lows for the day and going to revisit yesterday's lows. And then son of a gun, if we don't rally about 15 cents in the last hour. And, and uh, some of that could have been short covering the volume didn't spike like there was a huge new buy coming in, but it was nice to see the market recover to mid-range in the beans. And, and corn corn came back and almost got to unchanged. So I thought the market responded well, considering that there was no bullish information given to us in either of those reports today. Yeah, I mean, were you surprised at all on maybe the the – the lack of revisions to the balance sheet was this widely expected coming in. I'm looking at, you know, maybe the export number was left unchanged at 2.1. You know, feed and residual, no surprise there after last month's bump 
But yeah, any, any thoughts on some of those other demand categories as we kind of look forward? Any changes that maybe you'd anticipate are coming that didn't happen today? I was honestly, I was kind of looking for a 25 million bushel increase in ethanol crush. Uh, year versus year, uh, USDA is expecting us to crush 200 million bushels more than what we did last year. In the first quarter, September, October, November, we crushed 57 million bushels more than we did a year ago. And in the month of December alone, we crushed 56 million bushels more than we did in December 22. So you look at that, and out of the 200 million bushel forecast, we're 113 million bushels towards that goal in the first four months. I kind of thought perhaps we'll, we will be seeing some in increases in demand there. Um, as far as the corn export number 2.1, I'd think it was a little premature to be increasing corn exports at this point in time. Uh, we do have the big export window in front of us now, March, April, May, part of June, that if we're going to reach this 2.1 million bushel uh, goal that USDA has laid out for us, we really need now to start to see the numbers increase. And typically with the Brazilians moving to their soybean export season, that frees up corn then for the U.S. Uh, on world channels. And so uh, I really didn't expect a decrease um, in the corn export number, nor an increase if in 90 days our export um, bushels haven't increased on a weekly basis, then, then we could possibly see a reduction. But um, uh, it's still a little premature to be cutting corn exports. Okay. Any, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the Brazilian winter crop uh, on their corn, their first crop corn acres coming down 3 million tons. We've got Argentina that is up a lot compared to a year ago. Let me find my, my notes and find my numbers. 35 million tons last year for production and 55 million tons this year. So, you know, we're up 62% year over year on Corn production in Argentina. What I mean, what types of implications do you expect from from that? We don't often talk about Argentina a lot. It seems like Brazil is always the uh, country in the discussion when we're talking about South America. But any thoughts on what an extra twenty million tons does coming out of Argentina to our markets? Well, it's probably going to be export competition without a doubt. Um, as you mentioned last year, when they grew 35 million metric ton, they exported 24. Now we're going to grow another 20 million metric ton and exports increase to 41. Uh, where they're going to go, I really don't know that part, Luke. Um, could they go to China? No. Um, Argentina corn has not been approved. Uh, by China phytosanitary regulations. As a matter of fact, here just recently in the last two weeks, Argentina wheat has been approved. And I think that's just the open the door uh, for other commodities down the road, but not, not initially and not right away. I don't know where it's going. I don't know if it's going to hit Europe since um, the Europeans prefer not to consume GMO uh, grain. Uh, maybe Argentina can can get their corn um, identified as non-GMO and, and meet those standards. Okay, uh, I appreciate the color on on that. I, I mean, I think that's something that bears watching. Like you said, uh, we're talking about an additional you know 17 million tons 
uh, year over year out of Argentina, hitting the world market somewhere. So um, something that bears watching as we look at the forward curve and maybe how that impacts U.S. exports looking ahead. With what we got today, obviously no big changes in the uh, in the story that we've got fundamentally. Corn languishing, you know, we saw March corn make new lows this week. You know, if you're a producer out there listening to this, Kevin, what what advice would you provide maybe in an old crop corn scenario where a producer has unmarketed old crop uh, in the bin and and looking for solutions? And, you know, we see March corn making new lows this week. Well, old crop, uh, old crop bushels is the farmer still holding for a futures market rally. Um, my question to him is why hold cash? And the reason that I say that is right now using local ethanol bid, the bid is 20 cents over March futures. If we subtract out the March-May corn spread of 12 cents, uh, that takes that value to eight over the May. Now we'll probably see basis improve April-May, producer gets back in the field, and it might get back to that 20 over, but that's 90 days down the road. So is the farmer going to hold corn 90 days for a 12 cent basis improvement? I mean, if he's waiting for a futures market rally, CVBA has a number of contracts, origination contract, uh, the minimum price contract, the extended price contract where the farmer can generate cash and then participate if there is a futures market rally. And I would believe that would be the type of approach that I would take if I had oak crop bushels. And especially in the elevator and receiving the phone calls that I have been the last 10 days or so since the 1st of February, kind of amazed that we still have that much corn that's paying storage. So that would be the way that I would look at that, Luke. Makes sense. You know, and we're in an interest rate environment over the last 24 months. It's really probably changed that conversation and contributed to that. But I think you lay it out pretty well. You know, when we figure the cost to carry corn on the farm at 9% interest, you know, you can figure four cents a bushel per month uh, is what that's worth to you, three and a half to four cents. So yeah, if you're going to carry corn another 90 days, um, a 12 cent basis improvement uh, is basically what you need to break even uh, with what it's going to cost you in interest. So basically what you're saying is move, move it now, turn it into cash, get it in the bank. And uh, if you want to maintain pricing flexibility, Keep your futures prices open uh, with a sell reown strategy, which is extended price, or a more limited risk solution would be minimum price, which is selling the cash and buying a call option. That is correct. You hit the nail on the head. Okay. Well, makes sense. And I think a solution that can work for guys, we're getting into a heavy uh, cash drawdown time of year with uh, some of the inputs that need to come into focus for the 24 crop. Um, different types of fixed uh, debt payments and uh, maybe some cash rent type situations are around the corner. So if you're looking for a cash flow solution, uh, those uh, contracts that Kevin mentioned are certainly appropriate given what's going on in this marketplace. As you think about corn basis, and this will kind of be the final thought on corn, as you think about corn basis, you mentioned, you know, ethanol um, demand's been good. Their margin environment's been a little rough to start the, you know, the calendar year, but things are improving there. Um, basis wise, as you kind of look forward, Kevin, in our Eastern Nebraska, Northwest Iowa, just Kansas, kind of a footprint, Western Corn Belt, really, um, thoughts on corn basis as we kind of move through the rest of this old crop year. 
Well, I think we've kind of seen the highs for uh, oak crop corn basis um, post-harvest December. We were in the ballpark of 2025 over. And uh, here in our Nebraska ethanol market, it has really, uh, the basis market has changed uh, two or three years ago. Uh, there is no strip where you get paid the same amount for a three-month or six-month window. Uh, it's, a, it's a two-week window. Uh, might be a month at the most, but it's a two-week window. And, and we see that as each month rolls over, it goes, basis goes back to 2025 over. Um, if we should have a futures market rally so that the farmer is incentivized to move bushels that way, basis will break. I'm a little bit concerned, Luke, about um, the extent of corn inventory on the farm here in Nebraska. We've got the sixth largest amount of bushels on a per bushel basis uh, that we've had since records have been kept. 889 million bushels restored by the farmer back on December 1st. The pricing environment has not been one in which he's wanted to move corn. And my concern is he's gonna wait until the summertime to see what he has for a crop coming. And at that point in time, it's like somebody yelling fire in a movie theater and everybody's trying to get out the door at the same time. And so I'm a little, I'm hesitant about much improvement for corn basis in the summertime. Once we get by the planting window and we see what kind of crop we have coming on, um, I could actually see basis starting to weaken just a little bit from the levels that we currently see. Yeah, I agree with you, Kevin. I, for, for all the same reasons, um, you know, corn can can be stored from one crop year to a next, and somebody's going to have to carry 2.1 plus billion bushels, you know, past August 31st. But uh, same reason, yeah, a lot of unpriced grain on the farm. Uh, you can see that in the stocks report. You can see it in the commitment of traders report, quite frankly, uh, with that producer and merchant position being uh, net long. So, uh, the producers long grain, and if we do get a rally, I, I do think the cash markets are going to fade, um, depending on when when that might develop. Good thoughts, Kevin. I appreciate something actionable there. Uh, new crop corns at four seventy, between four seventy and four eighties, where it's been hanging out. Um, thoughts on new crop corn? Is that a is that a number that guys should be looking at to start making new crop sales? Doesn't feel great. I know we made new lows in these corn today as well. Well, actually, um, I would be looking at using some type of option-based grain origination contract so that I could achieve $5 futures on December corn. Um, the two type of contracts that uh, CVA offers that I'm aware of are the bonus premium contract, where they would sell cash and then you sell a call option. Uh, that does create a potential for a double up. Uh, in which you would have another sale made at the out of the money above where you're currently selling, say a $5 call that you could uh, generate perhaps 25, 26, 27 cents for, and then add that on to your futures price on your current sale, and you've got two sales of $5. The other contract that CVA offers is the triplex. Um, I would be using those two contracts here this the spring, uh, while time is money, time has value, and the market's going to pay you for that time. Um, and so 
if you have an opportunity, if you haven't done anything, and $5 corn futures will cash flow, you do need to be making some sales. Fortunately for you is that we still have in front of us the period of the spring and summer in which the market usually, not always, but usually will build a risk premium into values. You want to be very firm on what your cost of production is this year because it's going to be tight and it might be underwater just a little bit. But when that average seasonal contract that CVA offers to you, if you're one of those individuals who has trouble pulling the trigger because I don't know what I'm going to have, put a percentage of your bushels into the average seasonal price contract and you'll get a portion of your production, especially if you have to move anything to town this fall, price during a period of time which historically has been one of the higher periods of the year. Not always, but for corn, it may be 13 out of the last 17 years. Um, the window that CVA uses has been higher than the October 1st price for December futures. So try and put the odds on your side and remember what your cost of production is. You're looking at profitability. Let, let's get our, our focus back on managing risk and not, uh, not so much hitting home runs right now. Well said. Good thoughts, Kevin. Let's move to soybeans. A um, little, little more to talk about maybe in the bean market today as we look at the adjustments by the USDA. Uh, exports got cut 35 million bushels down to 1.72 billion. I've got to go back and look, Kevin. That's That's got to be close to the lows that we saw in some of those trade war years with China. Maybe you can confirm that for me, but down to 1.72 billion bushels there. We saw offsetting adjustments to seed and residual and uh, saw that carry out then go up by that 35 million bushels due to lost export demand. So now we sit at 315 million bushels, uh, average farm price prediction down to 1265. Stocks to use goes from 6.7% per, excuse me, a month ago to 7.6% this month. So the soybean situation getting uh, more manageable in the United States due to a vastly underperforming export program. Uh, as we look at the global revisions, we did see Brazilian uh, bean production for their current crop come down uh, 1 million tons from 157 to 156. I think the market was hoping maybe we'd see more of a cut uh, to that Brazilian crop, but that's what the USDA gave us. Uh, we did see uh, Brazilian bean exports bumped by a half a million metric tons as well. And those were kind of the highlights on the bean side. So Kevin, thoughts on what the USDA gave us for bean revisions today? Yeah, I think the the big takeaway was not from USDA, but from CONAB, the um, governmental agency that does the for, um, grain forecasting for Brazil. When they lowered their estimate this morning for Brazilian bean production from Oh, I think it was 155.2 million metric ton last month. They were almost 6 million metric ton lower at 149.4. Back in January, USDA was only 2 million metric ton, round numbers, probably about uh, 75 million bushels difference between their estimate and what CONAB's estimate was. So when CONAB came out this morning and cut 6 million metric ton off that production number, average straight guess was looking for four from the USDA. There was probably, well, I, I 
caught my attention. I thought, my, that, that that would be nice if the USDA would step forward and take six million out of Brazil's production, but instead they chose to be conservative. That's their general nature, and they only took one million metric ton of a production reduction for Brazilian beans, and the market um, did not respond favorably to that initially, and uh, we did see the market break, and that was what was. Uh, so appealing with the late day rally in the beans that they came back and closed higher because the fundamental information uh, wasn't bullish at all that we got today. Looking back on spreadsheets, you are absolutely correct, Luke, that uh, this export forecast now will take us back under what the 2018-19 U.S. soybean export total was of 1.75 round numbers, billion bushels but not quite as low as it got in 2019-2020. In that marketing year, we were down at 1.682 billion bushels. So it's not growing, it's shrinking. That's kind of been expected. Uh, it was just a matter of time of, of when you cry uncle and you begin to recognize, A, not only how poor the U.S. export season has been, but B, how large the Brazilian soybean export season was when the U.S. should have been shipping beans. And mm -hmm. so that was going to come at some time. You would have, I had kind of hoped that perhaps we would see an increase in crush to kind of neutralize uh, the reduction in export, uh, but USDA chose not to increase crush here today. With the large South American crop coming at us, and we can debate how much we're going to trim off of the Brazilian soybean crop, whether we follow CONAB and, and the USDA, you know, trims this crop ultimately down to something closer to 150 million tons. We haven't even talked about Argentina. You know, they, we talked about them in corn, soybeans, their crops 2x what it was last year, up to 50 million tons, 25 last year. You know, you're looking at total South American production that's uh, a record this year, despite what we have happened with Brazil. Forest bean export program we've had since 1819, I believe you said, Kevin. Kevin, do you feel like we replicate this poor year of soybean exports next year simply for the same reason? There's going to be another good South American bean crop harvested right now through, you know, whenever they get done, and that's going to bleed into the 2024 harvest for the United States. Am I under oath? Do I have to answer this question, Your Honor? You're, uh, <laughs> you're going to be compelled, yes. <laughs> I'm afraid so. I, I honestly believe that um, the uh, political and economic organization that Brazil and China are a part of, the BRIC organization, uh, you spoke to that situation a year ago at your producer meetings, but we can see we don't have charts to be able to show our listeners today, but we can show how Brazil has replaced the United States as China's uh, corn supplier, and we can also show over time how Brazil has replaced the United States as the soybean supplier to the Chinese. That's not going to change. Uh, that's just not going to change, folks. That is a long-term shift in relationship. And the only time that the United States share of soybean exports to China will increase is if South America is unable to provide those soybeans. So not looking for 
a return to the 2.1, 2.2 billion bushel soybean export um, that we had grown accustomed to. You're probably looking more at a 1918 is a really good year. And as you mentioned, Luke, in the January 23 meeting that we did together, or podcast that we did together, that um, the soybean crush, the domestic use of beans is going to supplant that export leadership in the bean market. So unfortunately, yeah, I, I'm not optimistic that we have a robust export season next year either. Okay. Well, uh, no har- harm in speaking the truth. That's what we want here to supply our listeners with that type of information. I think that has implications as we look forward because we'll see February Outlook Forum uh, estimates next week. And, you know, when we see that first new crop balance sheet estimate, which occurs in May, that's always a big question going into that report is what are we going to see for an initial demand assumption? And uh, it's just a starting point, but, you know, the market is aware of some number for next year. Everybody has their predictions. And so those things are being traded as you look at balance sheet predictions for new crop and ultimately what that ending stocks number looks like in August of 25. Uh, so that gives us some direction on new crop soybean prices, which have been under a lot of pressure lately. So what what are, what, you know, we talked about that a little bit in the corn, Kevin, but uh, as you look forward for soybean price, can you make a case for uh, any kind of a recovery rally in beans to provide producers with, you know, a selling opportunity? Oh, I think there's still going to be opportunities, Lou. Old crop soybeans, However, Nebraska farmers have the third largest bean inventory on farm uh, December 1st since 1986 when we USDA created this record-keeping system. It's 88 million bushels. Only larger were the, were the trade wars with China when we had 119 million bushels in 1819 and 98 million bushels in 1718. So short-term, and that would be old crop, I don't see a lot of uh, rally potential here. And so I would be of the mindset that sell cash being buy an at the money July call option. Um, that's going to cost you the option premium on that. It's going to cost you just about the same as what the storage would. Um, so once again, you get to generate cash and maintain some participation, not penny for penny with an option, but you will be able to participate should the market rally. Now, on the new crop, Luke, um, here I'm more of a holder for seasonally stronger prices uh, it, later into the spring and summertime. And then on volatile rallies, I would use that bonus premium contract. Um, I'd also put some bushels on the average seasonal contract uh, just, just so I'm starting to get some bushels marketed. Once again, your cost of production is going to be extremely critical to um, your success this year. Know what that number is, update it frequently, and we get those sharp weather-inspired rallies, whether it's a planning delay or whether something else should happen, a summer heat bell, and we get a sharp rally that you've got open orders in and working with your CVA grain specialist so that you're getting something sold as the market goes higher. That would be how I'd approach the new crop soybean position. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I think if there's some optimism for our producers, you know, watching market performance as we've kicked off the calendar year uh, is definitely what you're talking about, Kevin, is, 
you know, seasonal strength, and that's kind of the money ball approach um, to grain marketing is, you know, what does history tell us about seasonal patterns? And, and uh, well, it tells us that the, the better times are ahead of us. So we're looking at that. And I think one thing, you know, we haven't talked a lot about today is just the size of the managed money short uh, in commodities in general, uh, certainly pretty large in corn and it's you know, getting larger in soybeans. So uh, we get sparks or we get stories. Those are the types of things that cause funds to cover their positions. And that buying can push us higher on those short covering rallies and give us those selling opportunities that we're talking about. You're actually, um, you took the words right out of my mouth, Luke. I had uh, jotted down, what is the market telling us? Well, last year, corn and soybean future market spreads were inverses. And this year, it's a carry. That just simply means there's more supply to meet the demand. Last year, basis went to historical highs. This year, it has not. There's available supply to meet the local demand. From a trader's viewpoint, it's deflation, not inflation. And that is paramount to what you've just alluded to into the trader's position. The non-commercial spec fund short in corn is 300,000 contracts. Last year this week, they were long 132,000. In soybeans, the non-commercial spec fund short is short about 160,000 contracts. Last year at this time, they're long 125,000. So from price direction, the people that trade, depending upon what their attitude is on direction, have flipped from long positions, thinking the market's going higher, to short positions, thinking the market's going lower. There's one other sizable trader, paper trader in the market, and that is the index fund. Currently, their corn long position, and since their purpose is to manage inflation impact on the rest of the portfolio of their company, 99.99% of the time, they're always going to be long. Right now, their corn long is 217,000 contracts. Last year, it was 355,000. And for soybeans, this week, their long is 120,000. Last year, it was 131. So the bean position hasn't shrunk nearly as much as what the corn position did, but it does detail how, what you just alluded to, Luke, how money perceives the commodity markets today, and we're in a deflationary anticipative mode, not inflation. Yeah, I think it's important to look at those spreads, uh, all those things that you mentioned that tell the story about uh, how we're very, very much in a different market environment than we were 12 months ago. And uh, you can be successful in those environments, but we just need to do the things that produce results uh, with that type of market structure. So those are those are things we can help you with at CBA and uh, happy to do that as you come in and ask questions. Well, Kevin, I sure appreciate your thoughts today uh, and coming on talking about the February WASDE report. That's going to do it for us here uh, on this episode 50 of the CVA Grain Exchange. We're going to be back next month talking about the March WASD. And after that, we're getting into spring. Planning intentions are just around the corner. So things will be uh, changing with new information here in the coming weeks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe. <music>